Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hey, this is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, I am under AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. And we have a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. The group's closed, but if you just send me a request, I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films judgment-free. And if you like what you hear today in this episode, please subscribe and rate the show. It helps get the word out. And if you happen to leave us a positive review in iTunes, you're automatically entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. So please leave one today. Once I get to 30 entries, I'm going to draw names. So so yeah. Uh, well, I want to transition into my guest today. We have a newcomer on the show. I have Kelly. Say hi, Kelly. Hi. Hey, and uh, did you want to introduce yourself a little bit to our sure. audience? Yeah. Sure. Um, I'm Kelly Kitchens, and I am a film publicist in Dallas. And I, um, my main passion in life is classic films. Um, my husband and I travel the country to as many classic film festivals as we possibly can. And, and, um, so, and I work film festivals here in Dallas, so, uh, it's kind of a nice little, uh, uh, roundabout, uh, way to live. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm so excited to have you. And I live vicariously through all your photos. I'm so jealous when I see them. <laughs> it oh. looks so fun. <laughs> Well, come join me someplace. <laughs> yeah, I really need to. Like, I'm so jazzed every time I see your pictures. I'm like, oh, that would be so fun. Um, and and I really have to credit you, you know, since I've covered some of the festivals that you've invited me to cover. Um, it's really exposed me to a, a lot of different films that I maybe wouldn't have seen before. And so, um, you know, I'm oh, sort of vicariously through you learning about classic films, too. And, and so, yeah. I love that. I love hearing that. That, that makes me so happy. Um, because the thing is, is that even if it's a classic film, it's an, you know, quote unquote old film. If you've never seen it before, it's an, it's new to you. It's mm -hmm. a new film. And so, um, it's, it sometimes the way that, that they are, um, uh, filmed or directed or the style of speaking may be different than the way we speak now. But it's it you you it's like like listening or going to a film that has a uh, that's a British film and you get you, your ear gets trained into learning to hear 
the the British dialect and you know the words that may be different um, as you're sitting there watching the film. So it, it's the same with classic films. Um, so anyway, yeah, I agree. I completely agree. And with that, what classic film are we discussing today? Today we are talking about Meet Me in St. Louis. It's from 1944, uh, an MGM musical. And I just couldn't be more excited to talk to you about this film. Um, I just adore Judy Garland. I um, basically fell in love with Judy Garland when I saw Wizard of Oz on Mm -hmm. TV, Um, you know, when I was like four or five years old. Um, I recorded The Wizard of Oz. This is before VHS um, and VCRs or before my family had them anyway, I would sit with a tape recorder, an audio Aww. tape recorder, <laughs> by my TV, and I, I purposely asked for a uh, a tape recorder when, uh, uh, I guess it was for my uh, ninth, well, it was my, it was my ninth uh, Christmas, because um, right before I turned 10, and um, asked for <laughs> a, a tape recorder so I could sit by the TV and, you know, because in between commercial or, you know, so it would take out the commercials. And so I recorded the entire audio oh my gosh. on on an audio recorder and or a, a, a cassette tape, mm-hmm. I should say. And I listened to that non-stop so uh, for that I could tell you anytime the wind blew I could tell you all of the <laughs> I, could, I could tell you what every time Toto barked I knew when Toto was barking you know I, it's like it's like you get you get so trained to hearing that and then you know of course I would repeat all the dialogue and sing all the songs and you know etc etc so um so that was when I was really young and uh I started reading books about Judy Garland because uh, I also saw a film called Rainbow mm-hmm. which was about Judy Garland's early years and it was again a made for tv movie in the 70s and I um so I went and picked up that book I read that book from the library I read every book I could get my hands on about Judy Garland about Wizard of Oz and as I got older I started to you know say okay I want to want to learn more about her because I've read all these books and I wanted to see the films so that's where Meet Me in St. Louis comes in Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think my biggest experience with Judy Garland is also Wizard of Oz. But there's so many other movies that she was in that, that I haven't seen. And so I was oh. kind of excited that you that you picked this one because it's uh, a musical that I haven't seen before. And musicals are kind of a weak area for me. Um, okay. I haven't I seen that. a ton of them. I oh, get that. You know, because there's there's uh, there are several genres that are are weak for me. Uh, film noir is 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 one that I just sort of dab my toe in every once in a while. War movies. I'm not really a war movie person, but I like to see. I, you know, I like to be. I like to discover new things like that. Um, so I'm really excited about and that that this is this is is a perfect pick I think for for dabbing your toe into musicals and into uh, classic film overall because it's not just a musical it's a comedy 
Mm-hmm. And there are so many funny lines, so many funny moments. And it's all about this family. Um, it's a family of, let's see, with uh, seven people. Uh, so, you know, mother, father, and five kids, uh, ranging from ages like five or six years old all the way up to uh, heading off to college. So um, you kind of get the, and also they have their grandfather living with them, and they also have a have a maid. Uh, so the house is full. The house is is always bustling, and they're going to parties. They have friends over. They, they you know, and so it it is like you're walking into their family, and you know you're invited to the party. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. Because, you know, as I mentioned, this is the first time I watched it. But, um, I, you know, I, I did really enjoy it. And as I was researching more and more about it, the more I learned about it, the more I liked it. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the plot, you know, is pretty simple. I was going to kind of start us off by sort of you, you kind of summarized it there a little bit already, but I was going to read the uh, the synopsis. It's literally like a line. <laughs> yes, go ahead. It's, go a, ahead. it's a, quick, a quick summary of the movie, but basically here it goes. Uh, the movie came out in 1944 and it takes place in 1904. So here we go. In the year leading up to the 1904 St. Louis World Fair, the four Smith daughters learn lessons of life and love, even as they prepare for a reluctant move to New York. Yes. We'll go with that. Okay. So, um, Mimi in St. Louis is based on uh, the writer Sally Benson's work that was in uh, The New Yorker. And each story, each chapter of the film, which follows uh, basically only six days of in a year of, of the Smith family life. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, so, so each, each, uh, so there were like three days in summer at the beginning. And then, um, there is, uh, one day at Halloween, one day at Christmas, and then it follows up with, with spring of 2004 when they actually go to the fair. That's spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely watch the movie before. <laughs> no, no, no. Because really, Meet Me in St. Louis was the song. It was like the popular song about going to the fair. Mm. And so you hear Judy and her sister um, Rose, who is played by uh, Leslie Brennan, um, she, they are just singing it at the top of their lungs and they're walking around all the time, you know, the whole summer before singing meet me in St. Louis. And, you know, and then their father comes in and is like, Oh, I wish people would go to the fair and leave me alone because he had that <laughs> at work. Right. So yeah. <laughs> this is the whole year before the, before the festival starts. And, um, uh, and it was a real festival in 1904. It was, the uh, it was called the the Louisiana Purchase Exposition, uh, which then was shortened to the St. Louis World's Fair. Gotcha. And what's so interesting about that is the Louisiana Purchase was made in 1803, uh, but they they missed a year. They putting everything together for the fair, especially back then was so, you know, time consuming, mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, it ended up being a year later. So it was oh, the gotcha. 101st anniversary, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is such an interesting little tidbit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I had read that, uh, you know, Sally Vinson, the character of Tootie's based on her, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, and she's the youngest. And Margaret O'Brien, who is actually... Uh, she was actually seven because she was born on my mother's actual birthday. Oh, cool. So, January 15th, 1937, my mother and Margaret O'Brien were both born. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> Connection, yeah. <laughs> so, so she was she was actually seven and in the film, but she was playing about five, a five-year-old, six-year-old. She's, she's still a teeny tiny woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually told us at the TCM Classic Film Festival um, when she was introducing this film on its 60th anniversary in, in 2014 that she somebody uh, somebody auctioned the coat that she's wearing at the end or, you know, during the Christmas scene, the red coat that she's wearing at the Christmas scene and she can still wear it today, which is <laughs> a little bit crazy. That's but... crazy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so she, yeah, she's a t- t- tiny little woman, but uh, is, is full of acting power. Mm-hmm. Um, she won for this film. She won the what was called the juvenile um, Oscar for which they don't have anymore. Uh, oh. For yeah, I kind of wish yeah. they did still have that. I, I know, I know, right? Because <laughs> there, there are so many really amazing actors that are children. Uh, you know, I mean, I was thinking the the little boy who played in the Jungle Book last year. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, I agree. It's <laughs> in every scene in in that in that book in that movie. But anyway, yeah, uh, no, totally. And I'm sorry, I'm jumping around. So no, you're you fine. You're fine. Keep me, keep me on track, otherwise I can go. <laughs> all i was gonna say next is that this film you know it was a a box office smash so if you haven't seen it yet you see it just keep that in mind it you know it grossed more money than any other prior mgm release in the past 20 years when it came out uh with the exception of david o selznick's gone with the wind um so it was big it was a big movie that people really really got into and you you have to you have to really put yourself into the um, the time frame of when this came out. So it came out in 1944. So we were we were three years into we, America anyway was three years into World War Two, mm-hmm. and you know uh, that there was just so much um, heartache about World War Two that you know having having an escape and you know we think of this going to the films today as an escape as well but they they you could literally go to go to a movie and you know escape into uh, 1903 St. Louis um and and into this family and be become one of their friends for you know an hour and a half and then go back home and and face face you know war rations and um you know and things like that that you were that that people were faced with every single day that's a Uh, good point yeah 
Well, you know, I think it's I think it's always good to watch a film and try to put yourself in the shoes of being a person watching it on that particular day in that particular year. You know, whether it's a 1920s um, uh, silent film or, you know, and, and to just really see the film, not from 2018 eyes, but to see the film from 1944 eyes or 1921 eyes or, you know, whatever the, whenever the film was made. Well, I was going to say, you know, when you talk about uh, having the perspective of the people in that day, I, I was thinking about that when I watched an interview from Liza Minnelli. Uh, because, you know, I think people my age either don't know or forget that she's Judy Garland's daughter. Right. And it's really important to know that, you know, her father is the director of this movie. Like, that's yeah. that's good context to have while watching it. I didn't realize that. So Vicente, yeah. Vicente Minnelli, is that how you say his name? Uh, it's just Vincent. Vincent, Minnelli. okay, Vincent Minnelli. See, yeah. that's how... <laughs> Yeah, I well, didn't know that, yeah. with an E, and so you yeah. would kind of think that. <laughs> but let me tell you about Vincent Minnelli. Um, you know, this Judy, well, I'll tell you about Judy first with this film. Judy was 22 years old. She was born in June of 1922. So she's 22 years old, and she really did not want to play a teenager. Yeah. She had already played, uh, you know, a married uh, a wife, um, and, you know, in a couple of films before this, and she was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to play a teenager. But Vincent Minnelli, uh, this was his first, uh, he'd been in the art department um, of a couple of other films, and this was his first um, big splash color uh, MGM film. They, there were other films before this, but but this, they were they were really putting a lot of money and, into him, and he came to Judy and he said, you know, I will, you will be beautiful. People will love you. This is, you know, I will make sure that you're taken care of, and he really did. And you can just see him. You see him falling in love with her through the camera lens because it's just gorgeous gorgeous in this film and you know when he when there's a close-up of her face and it fills the entire screen she is flawless and Judy was one of these people she was compared to Lana Turner or you know not compared to but she was kind of ended up being like the the stepchild because she wasn't Lana Turner. She wasn't Hedy Lamarr. She wasn't these beauties that were, you know, all over the MGM lot. She was valuable to them because she could sing, she could dance, she was funny, um, but she did not feel beautiful. And it breaks my heart that Louis B. Mayer, the head of, of uh, MGM at the time called her from when she was little, like when she was 13, called her my little hunchback. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. I know, I know. And so, you know, when she's being, you know, in the same, she's in the film with Hedy Lamar and Lana Turner uh, called The Zigfield Girl. And, you know, and 
basically, she's just as beautiful as they are. She is beautiful in that film, but they really sort of put her to the side and, you know, I mean, so that she knows her, her place basically when, when she's trying to be a, trying to be a showgirl, like, like, you know, the gorgeous Lana Turner and Hedy Lamarr, uh, who was known as the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, and you know, and that just breaks my heart because, you know, I, I, and I can relate to that because she, she didn't always see her own beauty Mm -hmm. And, but looking at this film, um, you know, she, her and Vincent Minnelli announced their engagement on the, uh, opening night premiere in St. Louis. Wow. And so they got married and then, um, you know, and then a, a couple of years later, Liza Minnelli was born and she's actually featured as a, as like a toddler, in um, the film called In the Good Old Summertime uh, at the very end. And you can just see Judy, you could see Judy in Liza Minnelli mm-hmm. because they have, they really have the same eyes and it's just, yeah. So that would be an, another one to add to your list. Oh, okay. Definitely. Uh, so um, there are a couple of things that I definitely want to talk about about the um the sets and oh, the yeah, costumes definitely. oh gosh I loved the costumes you know that uh, I like to make costumes I was like uh, yeah <laughs> I was tempted to like screen grab some of these dresses I just really loved them I me too well you know what they okay so <laughs> they got these they got a lot of the set pieces a lot of the uh costuming even the corsets um, you know, were were taken from Sears and Roebuck uh, catalogs from oh, 1900, wow. and I just happened to have um, a 1902 edition of the Sears and Roebuck, Roebuck catalog, which is you know exactly as it was done. Uh, this is a reprint from 1969, um, and there's a little introduction. And, you know, that takes up like a page. And then and then the rest of the book is the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And you could buy anything, anything from Sears and Roebuck. Sears and I mean, here, a piano. Uh, <laughs> right now, because I, I, um, I tagged a bunch of pages. Uh, you know, from things that were on set, like clocks and brushes and mirrors, handheld mirrors, um, the uh, horse-drawn buggy, um, you know, as as well as corsets and dresses and hats and, you know, just every You could get anything from Sears and Robot. It was the Amazon of the, <laughs> of the early 1900s. And even even after that, I mean, and because I mean, they reissued this in 1969, uh, which is when, you know, people would still wait for the Sears and Roebuck catalog to come in the mail for you to make your choices of what you wanted for Christmas. So, you know, it's like that you would dog ear the, the catalog uh, the pages of the catalog and say, this is, you know, this is my Christmas list. Um, and so, I mean, 
but yeah, it's it's really cool to just flip through this, and I'll let you borrow it at some point. I was gonna say you should take a couple pictures of like just stuff that stands out to you and send it to me. Oh, um, I will, I will. And then I can share it with the group and stuff. That'd be so yeah. cool. Oh, I'd be happy to. That would, yeah. that would be awesome. Uh, Let's see. So we talked a little bit about uh, Vince, Vincent Minnelli. You know, he also directed Un-American in Paris and Gigi, which were both yeah. uh, Best Picture Academy Award winners. So that's yeah. really, uh, really cool. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and he he was such a... Uh, he was such a good director and he was a really great director of actors for actors. And yeah, I, and those two films and also one of Judy's films, um, it's actually was her first film where she did absolutely no singing was called the clock. And that was a 1945 film. And it was not going well. And she basically insisted that um, they bring in Vincent Minnelli uh, to direct it. And again, she is just beautiful in this film. And it's a film about uh, uh, a soldier who has basically 24 hours, maybe 48 hours um, leave. And they're in New York, and uh, he runs into her at the train station and and, and literally runs into her, like, you know, knocks her on, on her feet off of her feet. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and then they, they end up uh, spending the day together. And oh. it is, it's, it's such a beautiful romantic film. And, again, it's directed by Vincent Minnelli. And he just makes her look gorgeous in it. Um, but anyway, going back to Meet Me in St. Louis. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wanted to discuss really quick. Uh, you had mentioned before we started recording that you did an intro for it. And that's part of how you got a lot of the details that you have about that. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, so I'm the publicist for the McKinney Classic Film Festival, uh, which went on hiatus this year, and we hope we'll be coming back in the next year or so. Uh, and um, I believe, was that last year? Yeah, last year um, they we did MGM musicals, and one of them was Meet Me in St. Louis. And uh, so the festival director, Dina Hill, asked me to uh, introduce Meet Me in St. Louis because she knows how much I love it. And so I, um, I did, I did uh, introduce it, and that's when I found, I found this old um, Sears and Roebuck catalog, and I, you know, I just found out several things that, that, I had I hadn't known um, leading up to for the many 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 times that I've seen this film, and one of the things that I think is so fascinating is that the Halloween scene, um, which doesn't include Judy very much, it is mostly from Tootie and Agnes's uh, point of view, and uh, they the the executives at MGM wanted to cut it. They thought that it was too dark. They thought it was, you know, just, it. they, they didn't think it fit with the film. Um, and I, I, I would disagree with that. I would love to hear what you think about 
the way that it fits in the film. But before you answer that, I wanted to say that the the entire segment of them going um, Halloween and tricks, tricks or treats was a very serious thing. They did not, you know, just go out and ask, say, trick or treat for candy. They went out to trick people. And it was trick people in, you know, sort of air quotes. So um, Tootie, who is, again, like five or six years old, and, you know, they, they're going to, uh, the kids are going to, you know, they, they say, you take the Brockhoffs. Oh, I'll take the Connors. You know, and when they say that, it's to trick this family, to trick whoever comes to the door. And it's all done in good fun, but it's, it's a way that, that is scary to the kids. Um, so the entire viewpoint of the camera from uh, in the Halloween scene is taken from a child's point of view. So it is as if, though, you are five years old running with 2D to go and take the Brockhoffs. And so everything is done from a very low angle of her looking up at, at a horse that, you know, startles her or her walking up the, the stairs to, uh, to knock on the door of, of this house and, you know, like peeking through the windows. Um, it, and it is fascinating to know that and then to go back and watch it um, because it's, it, it's, it's beautifully done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say this part, uh, you know, I guess like the first time you watch it kind of feels a little out of left field almost because you're sort of taking a break from uh, the main character of the story that we've been following. And now we're looking mostly at Tootie. And yeah, the Halloween tricks were, <laughs> they seemed extreme to me. Like I think under <laughs> a modern lens, it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like now when we say trick or treat, it's like uh, all in good fun, you know, you're not really going to do anything or maybe you'll egg someone's house, but the, which is not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Which is still not a good thing, but I mean, it's not anywhere near as destructive as like what these children are doing. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. it's funny because there is a line before they leave before Tootie and Agnes uh, leave the kitchen to go out. Okay. So the next door neighbor, uh, one of the older daughters says, Mrs. Truitt said she left her hammock on, all folded up on the porch. And if the kids would please return it after, uh, after they were done stealing it. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's like everybody kind of. And then there's a bonfire, and there's children at the bonfire, um, and it's all children, you know, like catching things on fire yeah that part seemed crazy to me i was like what who leaves these kids around all this fire (laughs) (laughs) well but if you notice it was all things that were kind of broken up anyway so okay it's it's a chair that you know it's like a three-legged chair well you know who wants to sit in a three-legged chair (laughs) right yeah that makes sense okay and so they were throwing things onto the fire that were you know already destroyed gotcha Um, okay yeah, and so, um, and I'm going to leave the the surprise of what they did at the trolley um, uh, for 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 our listeners to go and watch the film because it's actually kind of what. <laughs> but when Trudy, when Trudy goes up to uh, to Mr. Brockhoff's 
door and um, and knocks on the door. He opens the door and she says to him, this is the trick. She says to him, I hate you, Mr. Brockoff. And then she throws flour in his face. And then she runs off because he goes, Woo. And, you know, but if you notice, he is smiling and kind of taking it like, oh, that's so funny. These little kids. Um, so, you know, it's, it's still all in good fun, but you know, they know they, it's, it's expected, I guess you would say. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely sense that. Like I, you know, I could see how he's an intimidating old man to a child, but he knows that. And like, maybe he's like that because he wants them to stay off his lawn, but, (laughs) (laughs) but on Halloween, he's going to, he's going to humor them. And, you know, he's of course not going to scream at her really right terrify a little girl too much but yeah i did notice that that's like the meanest thing that she could think of to say or that they could think of to say for her was just we hate you (laughs) but then she runs back to the other kids at the bonfire and was like i killed mr brockoff oh yeah (laughs) like because that was you know that was the equivalent of of uh, you know it's just a child's imagination gone you know and using their imagination to just you know go off the charts and and uh and so you know it's and it's it's even though for a child to say i hate you and then to throw throw flower in their face and then to run back and say i killed him um it's almost kind of refreshing of how much of their, her imagination was running wild. And here's another part about Tootie that, you know, I hope that you picked up on the, um, all of her dolls are sick. They are all either buried and she would have to dig them up if, you know, when, if they move, they are all, uh, they're all just kind of, uh, you know, in failing health (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, and, and I really, that's not really explained in the movie, but for our 12th anniversary, Mark and I actually went to St. Louis, uh, for the, um, the Muni, which is a, an outdoor theater in St. Louis on the fairgrounds of where the, uh, the St. Louis world's fair took place. Wow. We were celebrating their 100th, um, anniversary this year. And they had meet me in St. Louis as their, uh, you know, a stage production, um, as their final, um, their final show. And I'd never seen it as a stage show, and and it is a little bit different. But what came clear from that was that Doctor, I mean, uh, Grand Grandfather Perfader was a doctor, mm-hmm. and he had medical books that Tootie was reading, and so she was looking at anatomy, and she was, you know, and she, and so he was like teaching her all, you know, anatomy things that. A five-year-old, and <laughs> and so the 
that's where her imagination of, oh my God, you know, they're all sick. All my dolls are sick. And, you know, and oh, oh, poor Margareta. She, she's never looked so pale. And she's a doll, you know, she's a China doll. And of course she looks pale. (laughs) 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 And, um, you know, and so I, I think I thought that that was really fascinating, but because she, you, you get the sense that she's a, a little, you know, she has a, a little bit of a morbid um, fascination with her imagination. I definitely but, picked up on that part. Yeah. It's like every time she told a lie, it was so dark. But it was right. kind of funny because you knew kids like that, or maybe you were a kid like that. It felt very real in a time where, you know, a lot of movies, I, I feel like kids don't always feel authentic. I definitely felt like Tootie felt very authentic in the film. Oh, definitely, definitely. And... <laughs> And, uh, you know, she's got the funniest things flying out of her mouth, um, you know, when when she's when she's getting in trouble from her dad, you know, and she's trying to divert attention by, you know, saying that that the milkman saw, you know, somebody get shot. It's like, well, <laughs> so, you know, but but, the you know, her imagination is it's just, you know, really off the charts. And I, and I love that. I just I love that. I agree. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, totally up to you. What do you want to talk about next? I was thinking since you've already talked about a couple of your favorite scenes, were there some other scenes you kind of wanted to to highlight? Um, Yes. Okay. First of all, can we talk about a couple of the supporting characters? Oh, definitely. I would love to. Okay. Um, So uh, the mother in this film was played by Mary Astor. Mm-hmm. And if um, there has been a documentary uh, that showed at the Dallas Video Fest, DocuFest this year, called Scandal, uh, The Trial of Mary Astor. And it's uh, making the festival rounds that right now. Uh, it was made by a filmmaker who has been a longtime researcher on uh, Turner Classic Movies. And um, so to see to see Mary Astor, who was known as a she was in, she was a silent she was silent films she started in silent films then she um, she was known for being kind of a hard boiled broad um, if if you will uh, air quotes <laughs> of course <laughs> and you know and she was in um, the Maltese Falcon. Uh, and then she, so she, this trial that she was, that she was in, uh, was in 1936, I believe. And I may have to check that, but she, um, uh, she was going through a divorce with her husband and her husband stumbled upon her personal diaries. And these diaries talked about her sexual escapades. And they brought it up with, um, yes, 1936. Uh, they brought it up with, um, he brought it to the court to say that she is an unfit mother because she enjoys sex. And it's written in her personal diaries that were not meant for anybody else's eyes. And um, so when you think of classic films and you're thinking, oh, you know, everybody's all squeaky clean and nobody does bad things or nobody enjoys, you know, sex or whatever. 
that was because of the production code. That was not necessarily their law. Although they did have to sign a morality clause in their contracts uh, to say that, you know, they they wouldn't be involved in, you know, various uh, nefarious uh, activities or um, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, so, and, and the press really protected and as well as the publicists for the studios really protected people back then. That's why this was such a scandal for 1936. It just goes to show that, you know, in her, so she's, she's what, how old was she? And she was almost, well, she's, she was only 32 in this movie, but she was playing somebody much older. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, but, but and she was the good mother. She was the good wife. She was the person who brought everybody together. And, uh, you know, and it just, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see her career go from, you know, being kind of a, um, uh, abroad, if you will, <laughs> to being a you know a loving mother and wife uh, in other films, and so um, so I love I love that connection because that's a that is a film that is like I said hitting the festival circuit now, and I would expect that it would be on uh, TCM in the in the somewhat near future, uh, maybe a year or so. Um, and that's just speculation on my part. Um, the other thing is, let me think, let me think about who else. Well, I was going to say that, uh, that I really liked that documentary, um, when I saw it at Dallas DocuFest, uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was very eye opening and kind of relevant to today still in the sense that sometimes people's private lives are just put on display in, in a context that is not relevant to, you know, right. to, to what's going on, you know, her, her private sex life is no one's business, but hers. And the only reason why it's public is because someone's exposing it. And I feel like that's like, you know, today when, when, you know, an actress's nudes leak or something and all the heat is on her and how could, how could she do this? And she's, you know, so scandalous. And it's like, we, we don't often turn the lens back on the person that's taking advantage of them. And right. I think that that documentary was such a, you know, kind of a triumphant success for Mary Astor because she was able to recover from that in a time that, you know, it, it was really hard to. I mean, you were saying that, you know, actors had to have squeaky clean, uh, you know, resumes, basically. And this mm-hmm. really threatened her entire career. But she stood up to it and fought back and... You know, eventually the the judge was like realized how ridiculous this whole charade was over (laughs) over just a guy wanting her money basically. Um, And and yeah, I I do highly recommend that documentary. It was really good, and and also the story of the the filmmaker herself as well that that made the film. I found that really interesting as well. And of course, that's a Turner Classic Movie connection. (laughs) And uh, and yeah, I I was thinking about that watching this movie, like how 
you know, like you said, how matronly she is in it, how nurturing. It's like women are complicated and they're all those things. Yeah, she was sexy and she was worldly and then she was also a great mother. Like, surprise, surprise, you can be both. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, I'm glad that you saw that and I'm glad, I'm glad that we were able to talk about that too. Yeah. Um. Okay, so that I'm gonna talk about it and I wanna talk about the song, um, Have Yourself Happy Little Christmas. Um so um so Judy is is playing a you know, she's an older sister to and she's she helps take care of the younger ones. Um and in the meantime she's falling in love with the boy next door. Uh, and I just adore that song, which is actually called The Boy Next Door. Um, and it's, uh, so it, at the end of the film is the Christmas, the Christmas chapter of the film. And she runs into, or she sees Tootie is up really late when she should be in bed waiting for Santa Claus. And she goes in there and, you know, and, and they are supposed to move to New York. The, the father gets a, a uh, it's it basically it gets a promotion with the law firm that, that he, uh, he works for. And so they want him to move to New York to, to uh, enhance the, the law firm in New York. And they don't want to move. They love St. Louis. Um, and so, so Tootie, uh, is thinking about, oh my goodness, I have to leave, we have to leave St. Louis and I have to leave, leave everything that I know here behind. And so she's talking to, uh, talking to Esther and, um, Esther then picks up her, um, music box and starts to play the tune of, of have yourself a merry little Christmas. Well, at the beginning of of when they were going to the the, the words written for have yourself a merry little Christmas were very dark and very grim, and <laughs> they were like it was like uh, it, the words were like have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Oh, Next gosh. year we'll all be living in the past. And, and <laughs> Judy went up to the songwriter and said, I cannot sing this to a little five-year-old girl. And he's like, oh. And it, it, apparently, his name is Hugh Martin. And apparently he was, you know, he was like, well, these are my lyrics. You've got to sing them. And so she started working with him. And um, one of the other actors actually was Tom Drake, who played the boy next door, John Truitt, went up to um, went up to uh, Hugh Martin and said, "Look, this song has the has staying power if you will just listen to to Judy." And you know, and it is a song that comes around every year, you know, sixty what, 64 years later, and you'll hear it in starting in just a month from, from <laughs> right now. 
or you know maybe maybe you're already hearing it and um it would not have done that if it stayed with that grim dim uh lyrics of saying it was something like like um this may be our last this is our last christmas you know let's be sad merry little christmas because we're never going to be happy again yeah, I, I, uh, I did not know that, like, that, that that song was from this film. I had no idea. I mean, I put that song up there with, like, Jingle Bells or something. You know, I just thought it, like, has been around forever. It never occurred to me that it was from a movie. So I thought this was, like, a cover until I, I saw that story, too. That's so interesting. Oh, um, that's so Yeah, and yeah it, it's, it's a song that I like. A lot of the songs in the movie... Um, I had heard before and didn't realize they were from this film specifically. And they, they really, they're earworms. They stay stuck in your head. Like the whole, like the whole week that I've, since I've watched it. Good. Well, that makes me happy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it's not like I'm not suffering. You know, I like the songs. (laughs) Well, in the trolley song, the trolley song is uh, each let me go back and say each song in this film and you know, the, the biggies are really, you know, have yourself a Merry Little Christmas, the boy next door and the trolley song are, you know, those are, those are probably the, the, um, the, the cream of the crop of the songs in the film. And if you, if you look, if you take them out of context of the film, they can stand alone as a story. They are really like like music videos for those songs, and they're so beautifully done. They're, they they I love how they how how fleshed out and full it, they tell the story, and and watching watching them as they as they're sung and danced, and it's just it, I think I just think they're they're beautiful works of art just as songs and music videos by themselves. Yeah, you know, it's not a musical where I feel like the movie is bogged down with songs. You know, I think sometimes people that aren't big musical fans sort of view musicals that way. They think, oh, I'm going to be, you know, they're going to be interrupted every five minutes with a song. And this movie doesn't feel that way at all. It, it seems like all the songs come at just the right time. And I feel like there's a lot of really feel-good elements in this movie that give a movie that's essentially, you know, as we've talked about before, it's just about a family that's maybe going to move to New York or not <laughs> and, right? in, in a few days out of the year. Like, that doesn't sound exciting, but I think because they centered around these holidays and the fair and just these songs that are so catchy... Um, and beautiful costumes and, you know, things like that, it really adds to the staying power of the movie, you know, in a way that, like, there's a lot of musicals that I've seen where, you know, there's so many songs and maybe I remember one or two, but I feel like the, the main ones that you mentioned, I mean, they're, for the most part, easily recognizable even outside of the movie, like you said. Yes, yes. And what I, one thing that I think is really funny is that, when you first, when the very, very first time that Judy is singing with uh, Les, uh, Lucille Brimmer, um, she, as her, that's her sister. And so they're singing, you know, they're singing by the piano, meet me in St. Louis, Louis, meet me at the fair. And, and 
the father comes in and says, and he's, he interrupts them and says, will you stop that screeching? <laughs> and to think of somebody saying to Judy Garland, stop that screeching is just hysterical to me because, <laughs> you know, I mean, Tony Bennett has even said that she had the best voice mm-hmm. that he's ever, ever heard. And, you know, and so I, I think there's just some, some really funny, funny moments and funny, funny lines. Um, I mean, you know, but there's, there's a scene where, um, Judy, Judy, see Judy and so Esther, uh, let me say the character name, Esther and Rose, the oldest, uh, daughters are really scheming to find dates and go, you know, have a boyfriend. And <laughs> so, you know, so when, when the oldest one, Rose, um, is escorted home by Colonel Darley and she, and Esther says, Oh, Rose, him. And she's like, uh huh. And she said, did you, uh, he's, she says, D- did you run into him, uh, accidentally? And she goes, uh huh, almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a lot of like funny moments in the movie. They got a laugh out of me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's like, you have to really listen for mm-hmm. them. They can be very subtle. They are. Um, they're very subtle. There's one line that I always add uh, that is not in the film would have been really funny. And it's where um, Rose is heading upstairs and, and Esther is talking to her. And as she's Rose is supposed to get a phone call from from her beau who's in New York and she's in St. Louis. And uh, so Esther says, well, you don't want to be you don't want the whole family to be sitting around the table while you're, you know, waiting for Warren to propose. And she and then Rose says, Rose says, oh, Esther, I don't even know if I'll be home she goes when you get to be my age there's more important things than boys and then she heads upstairs and I think that the writer would have been so clever to for Esther to say gosh I hope I never get to be your age (laughs) (laughs) so just add that in your head as you're watching the movie when she heads upstairs and says oh when you get to be my age there's more thing than boys um can we talk about the world's fair just real oh yeah quick? go for it yeah go okay. ahead okay. so um the the world's fair which is you know what this is this movie is you know the, the big huge climax is meeting at the fair right and the world's fair uh was actually in in excuse me in st louis in 1904 um, I believe it opened in April in 1904, and um, it was huge. It I, there was a Ferris wheel at this World's Fair that it, think about this that was large enough for each of the cars, which were like the a um, of a railroad car 
hold 60 people. Wow. Oh, I want you to take that in. So one car on a Ferris wheel, which would have, I don't know, how many cars? Like 30 cars? One car could hold 60 people. That's huge. Yeah, it's kind I of mean, mind-blowing. That's huge. I think the one that at the Texas, you know, State Fair maybe holds eight people. Yeah. Maybe something like that. I feel like World Fairs back then in general were like a lot bigger, right? Like in New York and Chicago because they were like yeah. World Fairs. They weren't just like that city. It was like yeah, huge. So, yeah, and yeah. And there were there were two um, two Texas inventions that and do you do you want to know what those are? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Can you can you guess? Two Texas inventions. Um, food inventions. Wait, food. say that again. Texas Texas food inventions. Oh, were introduced uh, at the West Fair. Corn dogs. Close hamburgers. Hamburgers, really. Hamburgers, yeah. yes. It's from Athens, Texas, and <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So hamburgers and Dr Pepper. Oh, I love Dr Pepper. <laughs> Isn't that funny though? I mean, it's like, oh, you got a Texas meal right there—a hamburger and a Dr Pepper. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say turkey leg next. I was way off. <laughs> you were closer with hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, closer with hot dog, definitely. I was just trying to think of, like, what I eat at the fair, basically. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it is truly, um, it was huge, and it lasted uh, for a good almost six months, I believe. Oh my and gosh! Then, yeah. So I mean, it, St. Louis was literally the center of the universe uh, at that time, wow. and you know, and there were pavilions from countries, you know, Japan, and I, it just all over. Um, it's and it the the thing that makes me a little sad though is that they didn't um keep very much of it around. Uh not like the, the way they did in Texas. Yeah, but you know what? Even Fair Park, which was built in nineteen thirty six, was not built to last. Oh wow. It it was built to basically be around uh, for the centennial of Texas, which was, you know, 1936. So Texas became a country in 1836 and then became a state in, in 1845. And, you know, they, it was not expected to last. Um, and which is why, you know, there, they, there's so much restoration that has been done and there's more that needs to be done on the murals and, uh, the buildings and, uh, the, the sculptures that are out there. Um, which thank God, thank God they're, they're doing that yeah. because it's the largest, uh, uh, the, sorry, fair park is actually the largest collection of art deco buildings and artwork uh, in one spot in the country. 
and you know and Dallas doesn't hold on to its history very well it they really not, yeah. kind of <laughs> they they tear it down and put something else up and then you know then they wonder why why it's known as the city I'm not Lincoln Lincoln where Kennedy was shot but anything that's older than 1963 is bulldozed and then they put up a bright shiny building yeah and so we have very little of our history here uh so the fact that Fair Park is is there and you know and and has been saved but it's a national um uh landmark monument basically uh the fairgrounds and so, thank God, it it won't won't go away. Yeah, I noticed um, that this time, because or like a couple years ago, because I had watched a documentary um, that involved like the Chicago World's Fair, and I think that's when like I was realizing, oh, okay, so like a bunch of places had these. They weren't just like a state fair; they were like much bigger than that. And then I had that thought. I was like, I don't think if you go to Chicago or New York, you still see the fairgrounds the way that you do in Dallas. So that, that kind of clarifies that for me. I was like, I feel Good. like you don't, you know, like you can't go to Chicago and see like, oh, this is where the World Fair was, even though they did make all those buildings and that kind of stuff there too, but they didn't right. preserve them the same way. I mean, there's tons of stuff to see in Chicago, obviously, but yeah, it's just obviously. interesting, <laughs> you know, that right. they didn't save that. Yeah. So St. Louis was the same way. They didn't really hold on well, to all that stuff. They didn't, and um, there are some buildings um, that are that are still there. Uh, the the, and I may have this a little bit a little bit backwards, but I believe it's the art the the art museum um, was one of the museums that was uh, that remained there. There's also a place um, called the the music box, I believe. Um, and I need to look that up, but that's still there. And is it's just gorgeous. I think, I think mentioning all that history with the, with the fair kind of helps, you know, the audience today, at least like put that into context, because I think watching it now, you're thinking, Oh, it's like the state fair today. Like that's kind of exciting. I don't understand why it's this exciting, but knowing that, that it lasts six months and that, you know, there's play, uh, pavilions yeah. like you said, from all over the world that really puts into perspective why it is the climax of the movie. I did have right. a sense watching the movie, too, that, like, uh, they mentioned, you know, oh, when we move to New York, we're basically going to live in a shoebox and, like, all these other things. And I was like, I, I told my husband when I was watching it, I was like, I kind of feel the same way. Like, they really make St. Louis look very appealing. Like, it, I, it, I don't think I'd want to leave it. I mean, just based on what I'm seeing in the movie. Right. Right, right. Well, and I couldn't wait to get to St. Louis. We, I went to St. Louis for the first time in uh, 2006, 2016. Oh, wow. And I wanted to see anything and everything that had to do with me, me in St. Louis and the, and the World's Fair. And so I went to, um, I me and my husband drive to Kensington Avenue, which is where the Smith family and the boy next door live. Oh, wow. Um, and Kensington Avenue is there. And they are houses from that time period. Um, they're not quite as big or grand as those houses um, that are depicted on 
uh, in the film, but, um, and the spot where it was, uh, 5133, cause she says, I live at 5133 Kensington Avenue and he lives at 5130. No, I live at 5135 Kensington Avenue and he lives at 5133. Well, 5135, there actually is a spot for a house at 5135 Kensington Avenue, but it's a vacant lot now. Oh, so, gotcha. And, and I took a picture, and I took a picture of, of Kensington Avenue's um, sign. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so anyway, so we went, went searching for anything and everything I could find that was, um, that was from the fair and, uh, like I said, there's not much left, but the things that are left are, are really, it, it's a forest park. Um, there's, um, there is a, um, a statue of, of King Louis on oh, a wow. horse, uh, which is named, you know, St. Louis is named for King Louis from France. And, um, uh, and it's, oh, here it is. Okay. So this is called, it's the Crown Jewel. Well, basically, yeah, it's called Crown Jewel. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, the Jewel Box. The Jewel Box Greenhouse. Um, the Muni Outdoor, um, Theater. The St. Louis uh, Zoo, which was which was there and is is you know world renowned. Um, the um, yeah, it's it is just it's beautiful, but it it you know I wanted to see more. I wanted to see the statues. I wanted to see you know the buildings, but. I mean, you know, once the once the World's Fair was over, there they the city had to go on about its life basically, and um, there just weren't there weren't um, sh I guess you would say shops or or you know there was no such thing as malls in 1904. Um, you know, and so those 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 buildings where they they couldn't be filled. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I don't want to end on a downer note, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, but one thing I will say is that there is a lot of history in St. Louis, and I was so thrilled to be there and to see to see the history that is still there. Um, if you're a history buff, if you love, if you love this movie and you go to St. Louis, then, you know, there are things that are worth searching out, uh, that either fit with 1904 or that fit with the film from 1944. So, you know, I, I was, I, I was, I was thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, as much, as much as I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. So, and it's, you know, it, it is a film I return to 
time and again. Um, you can watch it any time of the year because it's true. There's so many for, holidays. <laughs> yeah, for Halloween, for for summer, for, for spring, for Christmas, and you know it's it is a and I cry every time. As much as I laugh in the film, I always cry. It just it's and I love and you know for people that don't like to cry in films, I love to cry in films. Me too. Me too. So, it is a good release yes. for me. And, you know, if I know I'm going to cry in a film, I'll watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> but, and it's a good cry because it, it ends on a fun, fun note. And, mm-hmm. I mean, just, it, 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 and, and the film just truly, I will say again, makes you feel like you are a member of the Smith family or one of their friends. And, you know, I, that's, I, I love having friends like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, you know, watching it the first time at, at the beginning, I thought that the dad was going to be like a bad guy. I thought he was kind of like, I don't know, like Mr. Banks in, you know, oh, yeah. uh, in Mary Poppins, you know, yes. where he's he's going to kind of come around, but not in the way, you know, not, not completely, but... It, it, that's not what happens. I mean, in, in real life, they, they actually did just move, right? They moved to New York because I think like there's yes. a part of you watching the movie that's like, oh, come on, he's got this huge promotion and, you know, like this is life. Sometimes you got to move. But in the context of the film, you know, there's this just really idealized, kind of romanticized version of a family that maybe it's not 100% true to life, but it is an escape and it is like a relief <laughs> and it's, it's nice to see like a dad that, you know, he, he is kind of like the tough sort of hammer the whole movie. But then at the end, he's like, you know what, let's just stay here. Like, you know, right. I, I, yeah, it's like, that's so unrealistic, but especially given how he acts throughout the movie, but it's, it's like refreshing because it's kind of like what you wish would happen. It's like, wouldn't it be great right. if we just stayed in St. Louis forever and just enjoyed this fair for the rest of our lives. That's kind of like how the movie right. sort of ends. Um, and it's like, there's no follow up. Like, well, does he get to go back to his job? You know, don't worry about that. We're just, <laughs> we're going to stay here. But but also the relationship, I think, between like Judy Garland and her little sister, Tootie, I found very moving because that's also kind of romanticized, right? I mean, sisters don't always get along, but uh, I was but, listening to a behind the scenes where they were saying she's like the perfect big sister. And she really is like the perfect big sister that maybe every little girl wishes they had, you know? Right, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know I certainly did. And I had a brother. I didn't have nice have a sister. So. <laughs> I was an only child, so. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you kind of already answered my, my ending question and that, like, what keeps you coming back to this movie. But how about the second one? What would you say to someone that hasn't seen this movie before? Um, I, I... I would kind of go back to what I said at the beginning of I think that this is the this is a great film to uh, introduce people to to classic films and to musicals from, you know, great MGM musicals from the 1940s. And because it is it's not it, it is a musical where the music fits. I mean, think about the times when you listen to, you know, the radio or, or or your iPod or whatever, and you're singing to yourself. That's kind of 
what some some of this some of the songs are like. Um, mm-hmm, definitely. At least, at least with the boy next door, that's what it's like. And uh, I think that people will relate to it, um, but they'll also see a sense of of how timing is. You know, things are are t- for timing for comedy timing, and it's really subtle. It's very, you know, you really have to pay attention. It's not something that, that it is something that you can casually watch, but to really get all the funny nuances of it, um, you know, it's, it's good to pay attention. I mean, like when the doctor comes and, you know, Tootie is, has lost her tooth, he, doctor's like, oh, what is it this time, Tootie? And you know automatically that that doctor has seen this five-year-old girl in his office or, you know, house call many, 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 many times. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's funny. Oh, what is it this time, Tootie? You know, I, and there's, so there's all these like little, very, very subtle, um, uh, you know, just comedy moments. I love it when Agnes says, oh, Rose, you're so stuck up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking to her older sister. <laughs> Like you wouldn't think that 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 line comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. with inside this inside this picturesque film, but it fits at the same time. And so that's that's probably what I would say is if you're re, if you've been reluctant to see classic films, this film is in beautiful Technicolor. It is I mean the colors just drip off the screen. Uh, the costuming, the the sets, the uh, the house, uh, everything about it is just gorgeous. Um, so you know, so give yourself a little bit of of time to get used to the way that they are, the way that they speak, and the way that they speak to each other. Um, which you know, I think it's very. There's a lot of grace in it, and a lot, but there's a, a lot of little. You know, little digs too, mm-hmm. um, and and so, but it's but the digs are kind of with with kindness, yeah. Except for when Rose, you know, and um, Mr. Brockhoff's face, but you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, very true. I when I was listening to the uh, or, or or watching the behind the scenes with. Liza Minnelli talking about this movie and you know she kept saying like I'm bragging on my mom and dad essentially when I talk about this movie because you know they made it um but she mentioned you know people will say well what is this about there's not you know it's not about anything they just it's about the fair and her you know meeting somebody and and she's like well that's good like you know this movie is just it it's capturing almost I think she said it's like capturing feelings almost you know it's like um, and it's characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it it you know it's 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 kind of like what Ben Mankiewicz says on on Turner Classic Movies. These are films that were made before we knew how to blow everything up, and so it's it is a kinder, gentler film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I it's all about character development and the way that people interact with each other. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of, of, you know, funny lines, there's beautiful sets, beautiful, 
beautiful clothes. <laughs> the, the, the costuming is just gorgeous. And it's, it's a feel good film. And so, you know, it, if you're having a, a gloomy day, um, pop this one in and, you know, and, and you'll escape into, into St. Louis in 1904 via 1944. Yeah. And maybe it'll inspire you to go there like it did you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. It's a very good advertisement for St. Louis. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I really appreciate you uh, carving out some time to talk about this movie. Um, you're definitely an expert. I feel like I've learned so much just discussing it. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And and please know I would love to do this again with, oh, excellent. with yeah. other please. classic films, um, especially... Yeah, I mean, they are my personal love. I, you know, I would be happy to talk about, you know, some of the films that I work on from time to time. Oh, of um, course. But, you know, if 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 you have, have a spot where, you know, you're like, oh, I think it's time for another classic film, I'm, I'm so thrilled to talk about that. Oh, definitely. So. We will make time for you. Definitely. Okay, great, great. <laughs> um, Kelly, if do you want to plug anything like, you know, websites or anything like that where people can find you? Well, sure. Um, okay. So I'm Kelly kitchens. Um, my website is Kelly kitchens, PR as in public relations.com. I, um, Coming up, I will be covering the Ernie Kovacs Award on uh, December the 8th at, at Alamo Draft House in Richardson. I will be working on the a new festival called Best of Fest in January of 2019. And then Alt Fiction, which is the narrative portion of the Dallas Video Fest, will be in February of 2019. So, and that website is, um, is videofest.org. Uh, otherwise, you know, you'll see me around uh, or at festivals, even if I'm not working them, they end up being our vacation. And <laughs> um, yeah, so feel free to contact me. I'm on Twitter um, at Kelly J. Kit, K-I-T. Um, and I'm happy to, to talk about other festivals that we go to. We go to like four or five festivals around the country. That's so um, cool. Yeah. Each year. And, and they're our vacation. They're, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, we'll be going to the 10th annual uh, TCM Classic Film Festival in Hollywood in April. And oh, wow. um, even though I work it. I don't work it. It's my vacation. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I'm excited. And yeah, I encourage yeah. you guys to reach out to Kelly and, and, you know, see she's always on the cutting edge of what's happening, especially locally. If you're in Dallas, there's just something going on pretty much every weekend. So, so keep yeah. an ear out. Yeah. There's a lot of art going on as well. Art festivals and, and uh, things that are going on, uh, during, uh, during, um, November that, I will be visiting and it, it's all over my Facebook page, which is basically Kelly. It's my Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash Kelly kitchens. 
and that is with an S on the end. And it does include my my uh, Mary name, which is Kelly. I'm Kelly J. Kitchens Wickersham on on Facebook, and I would be be happy to for you to follow along and you know maybe meet me at some of some of these other, other festivals, art festivals, or film festivals that are coming up because I always love talking art and I love talking film. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Lisa. This <laughs> no was so much This was fun. so fun. I had a blast. I can't wait to have you back. Okay. okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye.